And I, this morning, looked at your website as church members, and they said, uh, reach, build, send. Well, I tell you where I was in 2006. I'd have said, reach, build, send. In fact, pay for someone else to do it. Or reach, build, send, and send someone else. You see, where we've often gone in Christian circles is that we've got ourselves into this theme of thinking that the church are, is where the professionals are. Now, that is true, as, as uh, Rico said earlier. We are not all called to be Bible teachers. But he also went on to say, we are called to be Bible sharers. And I wasn't doing that. Now, I was doing a few things, and I want to tell you about how this all started with a friend of mine called Dennis. See, another friend of mine is Professor John Lennox, who many of you will know. He's the man that takes on Richard Dawkins. He's an international author and an international speaker. So as a Christian, I thought, I've cracked this for Dennis. I've got Professor John Lennox to come to dinner with my mate Dennis. Do you know what? He did two dinners. They were three and a half hours each. And these dinners I can best explain as being a bit like a mismatched men's finals at Wimbledon. Because on one side, we had Dennis, who's uh, over six foot three, over 20 stone, the best insurance broker in the whole of Europe before he retired. He was chairman of the, one of the biggest companies. The man has the gift of the gab. And he would go off at Professor Lennox like a demented ACAC gun. He was just firing, 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 firing. And frankly, he just couldn't understand what happened when John aced every ball straight back over the net with an answer. Didn't get it, just kept firing. So I sat through, and of course as a Christian I've been praying for these dinners to happen. I sat through seven hours of this. Two different dinners. And I found myself, much to my complete amazement, saying at the end of the second dinner, Dennis, thanks very much for this, but I don't want to do another one. And he looked at me and he said, why? He said, I love it when you bring John down. And I said, no, the truth is, mate, you are biblically ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, I know that's not true about nearly every other subject you can talk about, but it's certainly true here. You haven't got a clue because you've never looked at the Bible. I think what we need to do is ask John to come back and open the Bible. And can you notice, I was that unspecific. I didn't say open a gospel. I simply said the Bible. So John Lennox very kindly agreed to come back. And what he brought was John chapter 1. And John chapter 1 starts with the most extraordinary executive summary. It's a summary of the gospel. It's 18 verses. And my friend started off with his demented akak gun. Boom, boom, boom. Off we went. Verse 1, <coughs> 2, 3, 4. That gun jammed. And I always get emotional at this point. Because what I saw was Europe's most powerful, best gift of the gab guy, silenced, not by Professor John Lennox, not intellectually, by the Word of God. And he sat there for the rest of the dinner with his jaw metaphorically on the table as he watched the Word of God outlined to him. He understood it. He'd never been shown it before. Now, it was a bit of an extreme reaction. He moved to Bermuda three days later. <laughs> Most people don't do that when you try and say, this is the Bible. That was extreme. He was planning to move before the dinner, but he did move. But I rushed back to my minister and said to my mate, William Taylor, William, you know I've never taught the Bible before in my life, but I've just seen John's gospel silence someone I didn't think could be silenced. Can you please teach me? And he sat down. He started to teach me John's gospel. 
and he couldn't understand it. I was writing notes. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, the, word I, the world I come from is one where every time I walk into a meeting or I see I've got an agenda or I've got a contract, I've got something written down. And plus that, the truth is, William, I'm never going to remember what you say unless I write it down. I'm going to need it in front of me. Here we are seven years later. Those notes have morphed into these booklets. And what we do with these booklets, as you can see, it's quite a lot of booklets. These booklets represent chapters one to four of John's Gospel. There's two book ones, two book twos, and two book threes. And here's chapters five to ten. They're the green ones. And when you want 11 to 17, they're going to be red. And when you want chapters 18 to 21, they're going to be blue. Is this a course? No, it's not a course. This isn't a course. You wouldn't go to a Christian, a non-Christian friend and say to them, would you like to go on a course? Ah, but you say we do. Yes, we do. We say things like Christianity Explored. But the reality of Christianity Explored, and one of the biggest reasons why RICO is so supportive of this, is number one, the numbers are beginning to drop off on courses like that. And secondly, RICO couldn't understand it, why people stopped asking him questions as he taught the Christianity Explored course. And the reason we think that people have stopped asking questions is very simple. We all now sit behind a computer screen and we're used to asking questions in the privacy of our own home where we don't look idiots. So actually, why do we think that someone's going to come who hasn't got any Bible knowledge background whatsoever, they've not really been thinking about Christianity, why do we think they're going to come out of the blue and suddenly be converted in six, six lessons? So the reason Rico loves this is what I'm talking to you about today is the fact that every single one of you has got a unique circle of friends and this resource gives you the Word of God. It's to take to your friends. You don't need to do a course to be able to do it. All, you are, all we're suggesting you would say is say to your friends something along the lines of, haven't you often thought, one day I ought to look at that book, the Bible? Haven't you often thought to yourself, one day, you know, that book, that book has sold more copies than any other book in the history of mankind. I've never opened it. Did you hear about Lee Mack on, um, on Desert Island Disc? Some of you, I'm sure, won't want to even think about Desert Island Disc, it's not your scene. But it's this great program, it's been going on forever, where you choose these records and you're on a desert island. And at the end of it, they say to you, you can have a Bible. Well, Lee Mack, the comedian, asked for, for the first time in the history of the program, he said, actually, I'd like some notes that go with the Bible. And the woman who runs it said, pardon? <laughs> We've never had that one before. What are you talking about? He said, well, I was thinking about this the other day in preparing for the show. And he said, I suddenly thought, you know, if an alien came down and said to us, have you got some kind of rule book as to how humankind works? We go, oh yeah, oh, yeah, we have actually. It's called the Bible. And the alien would say, and what does it say? Ah, oh, well, actually, I haven't opened it. Well, that's where most people are. They're not thinking about Christianity. They may well be thinking about the fact that their lives are not what they thought they were going to be. They may well be saying that, actually, I've tried materialism, and it hasn't left me fulfilled. I said in one meeting, uh, in a, amongst some businessmen, I said, let's be honest, we've tried marriage, some of us many times. One bloke nearly fell off his chair, had been married four times. We know that that isn't the answer that we thought it was going to be. Building bigger barns for more toys, or whatever it is that the Bible describes it as. Materialism, we haven't got the answer. 
Well, here's one of the things that we've discovered as we've gone out and simply said to our friends, would you like to have a look? Would you give me just one hour over coffee to let me show you what the Bible actually says? All I'm going to say to you at the end of that hour is, did you enjoy that? Would you like to meet again? That's all I'm going to say. Do you know what? The take-up rate's been phenomenal. And let me tell you a stark fact. Not only is it not about what I say, which is a massive comfort, isn't it? It's about the fact they never remember what I say. They remember the gospel. They remember the word. The reason they remember the word is it's a living word. It came from God. But do you know what? They actually go on to give up an answer at some stage as to why they said yes, and I am always wrong. Let me give you just two examples. One example, my mate Stuart. Stuart's an international businessman. He's a really hard player. He's a big man. He owned up, having started to do this six months into starting to study, that this big international businessman, very successful, was terrified of his four-year-old daughter because his four-year-old daughter was going to start at a Church of England primary school. And he was terrified she was going to come home and ask him a question that he wouldn't be able to answer. And that's why he decided to say yes for his hour coffee with Richard. How I couldn't know that. How could I know that? No, the truth was, the Lord had already started to sow a little mustard seed into Stuart's life that said, one day you really ought to look at that. Or Mike. Mike is 50. And Mike studied for a whole year and then turned around and said to me, you know what, Richard, I never told you why I started this. My father died when I was 15. My father worked for Bernardo's, the Christian children's charity. And I knew as my father died that he had something I didn't have. And I've spent the last 35 years wondering what that was. How could I have known that? I didn't. The Lord was already at work. What was I in this process? I was just a pawn in the game, actually. I was just sent out to be a fool for the Lord. I was just sent out in my circle of friends to say, how about having a cup of coffee? Would you give me one hour? Would you just let me show you what the Bible has to say? And the rest is down to him. Now let me tell you how this goes. It's really quite funny. What happens is you go out and you, tell, you, you, you start using that phrase or somehow through conversations you've been having where you've been, as I said before, the old warm, the old warm conversation, you've been mentioning Jesus, you actually get around to saying to your friend, can I have my coffee with you? Would I, can I show you the Bible? And they say, yes, finally. It might have been four or five people said no, but finally you get one that says yes. And you'll immediately go, yes, marvelous. He said yes. And then you're filled with no. They've said yes, I'm going to have to do the notes. Well, let me tell you how that happens. You get into the notes and you very quickly discover he's not listening to what I'm saying. He's impacted by what the Bible says. Well, let's just look at that for one second. On the left-hand side, in the left-hand corner, we have Jonathan Carswell, that well-known book salesman. Right? He goes out and he tries to talk about Jesus. In the right-hand corner, we have God's Word. It's empowered by God. It comes completely loaded with the Holy Spirit. Which one do you think is going to be remembered most? It's simple. We don't think that way, do we? But it's true. This is a weapon. Not because it's got a funny color, but because it holds God's gospel. Let me show you, please, by putting up on the slides exactly what this is. Because people say to us, oh, I could never do this. Well, no, the truth is, you could. 
There are other resources around. If you're a student here, I'm a director of a thing called UCCF, which runs all the Christian unions. And you may well have been using a thing called Uncover. We're delighted that you have. Thousands and thousands and thousands of students have gone through the six little lessons that we've got in Uncover. And we've geared Uncover to ask lots of questions. But that... And it works, by the way, doesn't it, brilliantly if you're in a school, in, sorry, in a university term. You've got it. It works. It fits the term. But the two things about this that make this different that you're about to see is, number one, most of us aren't worried about being in a term. We're actually in life. We're in relationships. So the fact that I actually am going to start something a bit like listening to the archers that could go on for a year or 18 months or even longer is irrelevant to me. I don't have to worry about six. I'm just going to continue to show my friend the gospel. The second thing is, is as we said earlier, in this Google age, I'm not going to embarrass my friend. I am going to set questions, and one in a hundred of people who've done this might actually turn around and say, no, don't tell me the answer. Let me work it out. But most people actually, as Rico said on the slide, just listen to you reading out what the booklet says. And two things will come up. One is, after about three or four meetings over coffee, your friend's going to say something like this. How is it feasible no one's ever shown me this before? I had one man who suddenly slammed the edge of his desk on my third meeting with him. Oh, no, what have I said? And Joe said to me, he said, Richard, I've had one of the most expensive educations that money can buy. I've never seen this. Why have I never seen this? Now, isn't that damning to us as Christians? Well, the reason is because we've been talking about feeling good because we are Christians. We haven't been showing why we've been feeling good. I said yesterday at the conference we were at, you know, if I had the cure for cancer and I opened the window on the street and set out the window, I've got the cure for cancer, but I've decided to keep it to myself and shut the window, people wouldn't be that impressed. But that's exactly what we do as Christians because if we do anything, we probably say, I've got the cure for cancer, I've been cured and I feel good. Well, let's actually look at what the Bible says because this is the cure for cancer. So can we have the next slide up, please? Everything you say, everything you need to say, is actually in the booklets. Now, you might use it in a way that's slightly different from somebody else. But if you're really worried about it, don't, because A, you're going to be about the Lord's work, and B, what's in the booklet is all that you need to say. So on the left-hand side, I don't know if you can see that, it says, John's Gospel starts with an overview. Now, there's a lot in this section, so don't be surprised that we actually are going to need to unpack it. Now, can you see what it says on the left? There is a lot in this section, so don't be surprised that it's going to need some unpacking. So it's in the notes. Now, the other thing that's really surprising about John's Gospel is it doesn't start with there's no Bethlehem, there's no angels, there's no baby in the manger, all of which is what I actually thought as a non-Christian friend when I said yes to the coffee. And I thought, well, yeah, it's going to be interesting, but a lot of this I'm going to know. No, the reality of where your friend is, is that on one side, if they even went to Sunday school, Noah pulled the animals together one week, Jesus was born the next week, and Daniel went into the lion's den the week after. They've got no context of the gospel. This is here. So don't be surprised it's going to start in a way that's absolutely staggering. There's no Bethlehem. That's exactly what it says if you've read the book, the blocks on the right-hand side. Now, if we can have the next slide up. Let's actually get into the meat of it. I'm short of time, so I'm going to take it that you've read 
the verses on the left-hand side. We never ask anybody to read out loud. That's what Christians do in Christian meetings. They do it because people have fallen in love with the word. The Lord's in them, and they therefore love reading out loud. But actually, you don't go to a meeting in any way, shape, or form and say to somebody, would you now please read out the contract? So why would you do it in this context? So all we're going to do, a bit like a book club, is we're going to say, look, would you please read the left-hand page? So you read the left-hand page. You've now done that. Thanks very much. Let's look at the right-hand page. Everything you need's there. We start by saying, this is an amazing beginning. Look how often the phrase, the word is used. In fact, John seems to stress the word twice just at the beginning, and he's saying that the word was there in the beginning. And then he goes on to say that the word was with God and was God. Excuse me? This is God we're talking about? The word was God? Well, it's not only that he was God, but look at verse 2. It started with a he. He was with God in the beginning. The word is a person. So the word who is God and a person made everything according to verse 3. Three, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Can you now see why Professor Lennox pales into insignificance? Because actually what you've just read is stunning. Your friends have never been shown that. I have the brightest bloke who I've seen converted in this process in the last seven years is a man called Martin. And Martin, when he was finally converted, and he put me through murder to get him through this. I mean, I was, it just went on and on and on. But he finally was solidly converted. And I said to Martin, what was it that converted you? And he said, Richard, I never got over the first six words. In the beginning was the word. He said, there's the answer to Mr. Dawkins. Mr. Dawkins, you're an idiot. There was a beginning. And at the beginning was God. And there was this person called the Word, and it was a he, and he created everything. That's a much easier process to believe than anything else, and that's what converts him. But let's press on. What difference does the Word make for life? Well, it claims in verse 4 that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Well, he would be, wouldn't it? You know, when I buy the car, I'm terrible. I never read the handbook, which means I never know what the car does until I absolutely driven to read the handbook, and then I find out all the things that actually I'd bought. Okay. Well, that's exactly the same thing for life, isn't it? We've got this handbook for life. He is the answer to life, so it's not a terrible surprise that in him was life, and life was the light of mankind. He would be. Now, I'm going to quickly shoot over. Can you see everything you need is in the notes? So you would literally be saying this and bringing this alive to your friends. In whatever phraseology you would use. I, I was at a meeting once, and this bloke stood up, and I've, I've got to tell you, if ever they need a nerd in Hollywood, this bloke's a nerd. He stood up and he said, Mr. Bogonan, I'd, I'd just like to thank you for the notes. I thought, oh no, where's this going? He said, uh, he said my company actually has a video conferencing facility, and I'm now doing this with two people in Los Angeles, two in San Francisco, and one in Chicago. Thank you very much for the notes. Okay. Where he is, the type of person he is, he will not do it the same as me, but there he is, he's taken off. Do you know what the average is? Once you've got over the shock of realizing it's not about what you say, it's the word, the second thing is that actually you were empowered to do that meeting and you feel fantastic because the Holy Spirit was with you when you did it. You turn around and you think, who else can I ask? And the average is, as you get going with this, you'll do it with four of your friends. Four. 
individually. Because you get so excited, you keep thinking, where else can I be a fool for the Lord and use this? Whether you're retired, out of work, student, a mum, housewife, a businessman, it doesn't matter. I want to turn you to one more verse just to show you why this gets so exciting and why people remember it. And it's, it's uh, the next slide, please, which is verse 12 I'm going to highlight. Can you see that? It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what's it say on the right-hand side? He says, Look at the unique and awesome gift for those who accept him. They're adopted into his family. Imagine being adopted into the royal family. God offers something way bigger. Can you imagine the queen rings up Jonathan Carswell and says, Jonathan Carswell, you have done nothing to deserve what I'm about to tell you. But I have decided to make you a prince of the royal family. And I here am going to give you the keys to all the palaces and here are the Coots bank accounts. That's nothing in relation to this. And if you're in business or if you're drawing a salary, The truth is, you are adopted into the family of all families and suddenly the earnestness with which you have applied yourself to try and get a pay rise pales into insignificance because your father, the member whose family you've just joined, is a trillion, trillion, trillionaire. I said to one of my friends who happens to be a billionaire in America, I leant forward once and he was telling me about some of the things he was getting up to. He's a good man. I went forward and I said, actually, I haven't told you this before, but my father is a trillionaire. He went, no, he's not. I said, yeah, the difference is, it's marvellous. He looks after it all. I don't have to worry. And he got it because that's the family we're in. And as it says in the notes, he gave the right. So the word, who you'll have seen in the last couple of pages, actually gets explained as Jesus, gives the right to that adoption. It's a fantastic thing, the Bible. Don't do what I did. I spent 36 years as a Christian without thinking it was my job to take it. Send someone else, I said. I'll even pay to send someone else. Just don't send me. But no, he's put me in a mission field. It's where I am, wherever, whoever I am. He's got that unique circle of friends. Now, I want to tell you just how this works by getting Jonathan up here and just getting him to tell you about one of the situations he's got into. Yeah, thank you. So um, a mate of mine um, he works, works in a church as an apprentice. Uh, he's Ugandan, and he just talks to anybody about, about the gospel. By whatever means, he just gets into conversation. And he was, he was getting the bus down to Gatwick where he was, he was flying home. And he got chatting to Charlie, the guy that just sat next to him on, on the bus, and, and they got chatting. At the end of the journey, my mate turned to Charlie and said, have you ever looked at the Bible for yourself? Charlie said, no, I haven't. And then he asked this next crucial question, which I think is the hardest bit of it all. He said, would you like to? And Charlie said, yes. Unfortunately, my mate was then flying off to Uganda, so it's a bit of a commute to you know, meet up weekly. So anyway, my mate texted me and said, would you meet up with Charlie? So, yep. Charlie and I met up. I said, Charlie, you know, should we meet at church? We said, no, no, let's, let's meet at Starbucks. That's where he was comfortable. And Charlie and I got chatting. We got to know each other. And then we began to work through these notes. Charlie and I are a good match because he's not very academic. So, nor am I. And, and that just fits well. So, we kind of, you know, we went through. I said, look, you're not going to need to read anything. I'll just read it out. And there we are in Starbucks week by week. I read the left-hand side. 
I ask the questions, and then I say, right, well, Charlie, you can see the answers here. Let's go through them. And we turn the pages. And it is just staggering to see what Richard's been saying is absolutely true. And so in my situation with Charlie, he's never looked at the Bible before. And I'm not embarrassing him. I'm not asking him to, you know, Charlie, tell us. Look, we've just read verse 1. Tell us who the word is. You know, I'm not embarrassing him. I'm not making him feel stupid. He doesn't know the answer. To be honest, he doesn't have a Scoobies. He's never opened the Bible before. And yet the answer's there for him. And for me, it's brilliant because, okay, you know, I know my way around the Bible, but in, in order to share it with somebody who's never known, where would I go? Well, for me, I can just crack on with confidence, knowing that all I have to do is read. And, and it's brilliant, it's true that what Charlie remembers is God's word. So at the start when we were meeting, Charlie's questions were things like, how can God allow suffering? How can we even know God? All those sorts of things. The standard things. And I said to him, well, why don't we look at what God has to say, and then we'll see where your questions are. And if, if they're the same questions, then great, we'll look at what God's word has to say. Week four, as we're getting to the baptism of Jesus, Charlie said, uh, can I just ask a question? Why did God give Jesus the Holy Spirit when he was baptized if Jesus is God? Now that is a very different question to why does God allow suffering and all the rest. Not that there's anything wrong with that question, but the Bible is now informing Charlie's questions. It's directing what Charlie's doing. It's God's work working in Charlie all through a random meeting on a bus to Gatwick and my mate having the guts to say, have you ever looked at the Bible for yourself? Would you like to? We're not all called to be Bible teachers. We are all called to be Bible sharers. You see, the way this works is that you may well go through your, your two or three coffees, because all you're saying at the end of every one, did you enjoy that? Would you like to meet again? And you keep saying that until it becomes a redundant question. And the reason it's become redundant is your friend's got their diary out or their phone, and they're saying, when can I see you again? And what happens all the time is we go from, in the city it might start off with three to four weeks apart, but actually they start chasing down, oh, can I see you a bit quicker than that? Because it's like the archers. They want to find out what happens next. You don't hand out the booklets all in one rush, and we've designed these studies to be about 20 to 25 minutes apiece. So you might do a coffee for an hour, and you might get through three of what are actually 38 studies. Or you might start turn up, as what seems to regularly happen, and you've been doing now about three or four of these, and you walk into your friend, and they say, oh, I've been really looking forward to this. I've been thinking. Now, people say to me, that's the bit where I'll, this is hopeless for me. I couldn't answer the questions. Well, you're assuming that the person who's asking the questions knows more about the subject than you do. And actually, that's not true. Normally, the questions that people have got are very basic, and you will, from your own Christian experience, be able to answer them. If it isn't, then it's a very simple thing to simply say, that's a really good question. Let me please write that down. I'm seeing Paul Reese. I'm going to ask him, and I'll have the answer for when I see you next time. I'm seeing Andy. I'll write it down. I'll ask Andy, and I'll give you the answer when I see you next time. Week by week, you are going to become living church. You see, the problem is... As Christians, we group together marvelously as the family of God on a Sunday. It's fantastic. We also do Bible study groups. It's absolutely brilliant. But what this process does is turn you out. You take the gospel out. And as taking the gospel out, you become to people who'd never, they're nowhere near coming to church, that you actually become church. 
You see, the friendships that you've got that have allowed you to start this process will deepen. So you'll be able to say after a while, because Joe has finally opened up about what's really been worrying him in his marriage, or he's really opened up now about what's happening with his daughter, you'll be able to say, look, I've been praying about that, Joe. You know, how have we got on? You're living church. Or, you know what, Paul Rees spoke on that subject last week, and I asked the church for a CD copy of that talk. Or here's the link to the, to the download. I thought you might find this really helpful. Or we had a bloke called Jonathan Carswell who brought hundreds and hundreds of books, and I found one which actually dealt with that very little issue that you were talking about. It's only, it's, it was a quid book. Don't worry about the money. It'll just give you in a couple of minutes the answer you were looking for. You are church. So it will turn out that whilst this is produced initially very much for the people who are not ready to do a Christianity Explore course, they're not ready to come to church. They're not even thinking about Christianity. They will not through what you say, but because they begin to grasp the living God who is in the living word. So where are we going with this? Well, in your little handouts that you've got, you've got one page which we've issued for you called Things Not to Do and Things to Do. And I'm not going to go right through it. I'm simply going to point out a couple of them. The first is, please don't take your Bible with me. Pardon? I'm a Christian. Of course I can carry my Bible. No, don't take your Bible. Your Bible is actually quite a threatening thing to a non-Christian. You see, you'll immediately start flicking through it. That'll either show that you know where you're going, and that makes them feel even more stupid that they don't. Or if you say to them, well, let's look at Isaiah, whoop, up they go in pink embarrassment because they've got a clue where I didn't even know Isaiah existed until you mentioned his name. They don't know if he's in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So don't take your Bible. We've written these notes so that every passage you need, including where Jesus is fulfilling the, the, te- the um, prophecies of the Old Testament, it's in the booklets. That's why we set out, we didn't care how many booklets we wrote. Because if you're going to be like the archers listening for a whole period of time, you know, it could take a year to go through this. You don't care how many booklets you wrote. These are cheap. That's what you do care about. This is ridiculously cheap. So just keep handing out the booklet one at a time as you get to the point of finishing one, one chapter. The second thing I just wanted to point out is please be thoughtful for your non-Christian friend as to where you take them. If you want to stop a conversation in a coffee bar sit down at a table with a table either side of you and start talking about Jesus. That conversation will stop and that conversation will stop. Do the same in a restaurant, the same thing will happen. So if you go somewhere like a coffee bar, just be thoughtful and try and be, you know, like in the counter that they often have in the window. Great place, sit alongside a friend. But just give it some thought or ask your friend about where we could go that you're going to be comfortable with. Expect cancellations. It's annoying for your diary because you've bust your gut to get to that time in the day. But expect it, because actually, especially once you've started to go through this, this is deeply personal for people. And some days they're going to think, I can't face this. And they'll pick up the phone at the last minute and they'll cancel you. But they'll come back. I've only had, there's, there's two periods, people say to me, do people stop? There's two places in the John's Gospel where this does happen occasionally. The first is, not ironically, not surprisingly, exactly where Jesus faced it. It's at the end of chapter 6, and Jesus, having, having actually fed the 5,000, had quite a few disciples who, because he would not be what they wanted him to be, they turned away. And I find that's the... I've only had one man 
one man in seven years who got to that point and said this isn't and he walked away the other point is is that when it's become so stunningly obvious that he is who he is so for example at the end of the story about Lazarus when the Pharisees and the religious leaders they don't at any point try and say this is all a con they can't deal with the fact that the evidence is overwhelming and your friend may well turn to you and say there's no undoing this knowledge is there and that doesn't make them a Christian it means they're beginning to understand the knowledge of the power of the living God. And they may take a breather, because it might be difficult. And that seems to be a point where they do. I can reassure you, I've not had one who hasn't come back, because they still want to finish it. They're so far into it now, they want to know what happens. So, by all means, please do take a look at this. It will hopefully be a bit of a summary of some of the things that I've said today, and it will just be a comfort for you to go through this. But relax. It's not, I do understand it's difficult to ask that first question. The first time you do it, it won't be the second time. And I do understand it can be terrifying to think, oh, this is all about me when I open up these notes. It's not. Just read it. That's why it's been honed so that it can be used like that. Jonathan is having to make a new DVD to go on the website. Do you know why? Because we keep getting people who ring us up and say, this is going so really well, I must be doing something wrong. It must be more complicated than I'm making it. No, it's not. The gospel is the gospel. It goes out in a way which is fantastic. I pinch myself that I now see 16 people in my industry. 16! Senior men who've never gone to church. Why? Because they know there's more to life than they've got. And once they see the word of God, they discover the saviour that saved me. They discover a living relationship. They start off as that tiny little mustard seed and they know in their hearts that they are actually changing because the word of God grows.